this thing on. I, uh, I was going to say, I wear a pair of shorts like that, but I don't have any. And really, last time we saw him, he had on a grass skirt, so that's a step up from him. Uh, <laughs> hanging on my every word. I love that. <laughs> this morning, um, our pastors are gone, so look out. That we may have them turn the cameras off a little while later on. I want to start with the scripture I read to you last week, one I read for many years as pastor. My name is Jerry. That's my wife, Raylene. Over there, raise your hand up, baby. She's the one that did the music this morning, her and my daughter, and the wonderful guitar players and everybody up there. It was such a, such a blessing to hear and to see. This scripture is in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Romans 3.22 We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. God gave me that scripture 20-some years ago because I was really struggling with the idea of being a pastor, of pastoring a church, of leading people because of some of the things that I had done, that I had gone through. God showed me through that scripture and some other things that it's not about us, it's about him, it's about his blood, it's about his forgiveness. This morning I'd like to talk a little bit about church, church people, about how the church got started, what they did at first, but I want to show you a video first to get started and see what you think about that. Thank you. 
doesn't have anything to do with church, does it? I'm not going to preach on that. Uh, have you ever been watching TV and saw something on there and thought, man, I really need that? Some of you girls are going, yeah, I have. I want to read some scriptures to you this morning, but I, I got me a new pair of glasses that helps me read, Okay. Don't be acting like them birds. Aren't, isn't that awful? When I first got them, I went in, I sat down in my chair, and I was starting to read, and I looked over at my wife. I looked up at her, and she goes, guys, you know what that look means? Yeah, it is amazing what a woman can say without saying anything. I really don't want I just wanted to see how you would react on this morning. Thank you. I, I won't. I promise I won't wear them. I had the whole front row lit up. <laughs> uh, last time we were together, we talked about Peter and his life and how he had failed Jesus so badly. If you remember, he had denied him three times, and because of that denial, we don't know exactly what he was feeling. But it said that afterwards he went out and wept bitterly. There was a part of him that was destroyed, and yet. As we went on, he went to the beach and met Jesus for breakfast, if you remember. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, you love me? And on the third time, I think Peter went, okay. You know I love you, Lord. He said, take care of my people. Feed my sheep. That's who we are. He said, feed my lambs. That's our babies. And so Peter went on to do that in a great way, in a, in a way that's unbelievable. To me, just like the scripture I read to you to start with, God loves taking failures and making them into heroes. He loves it. 
when we're not worthy. He understands that. And he loves it because when that happens, just like me standing in front of you this morning, all the credit, all the glory has to be to God. Now we're going to go on and, and later on Peter's getting ready to preach his sermon. And we're going to go on and start in Acts chapter 2 and listen to the words he said. Now the first thing I want you to notice, because we're going to be talking about us as a body and about a church body today. The first thing I want you to notice as we start to read is how Peter stepped forward. Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. He didn't step forward alone. He stepped forward with the disciples around him. He stepped forward with people that he loved around him. He stepped forward with people who had seen Jesus, been with the Jesus. People who had seen Jesus die. People who had seen Jesus do miracles. He stepped forward with other people. Now, right before this, God gave them the Spirit. God rained down on top of them. It says, clothes of fire. And when, the, when it came down, the Spirit filled them. And in that time, he gave them the ability to speak in other tongues. The tongues at that time were tongues of language. They were tongues that the people that were there understood. So when they started to preach, when they started to talk about Jesus, the people around them understood their language. I think God also gives us an inner language. He's, he also allows us, because of what we have been through, to speak to other people who have been through the same thing. He also gives us a chance to minister from the pain that we have been through. One of the things you'll see as we go through this church, this first church, they did everything together. And let's go on and read this. Peter stepped forward with 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake. They had thought because of they were speaking in different tongues that they had got drunk. Make no mistake. These people are not drunk. As some of you are assuming, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's much too early for that. If it had been 10, I guess it would have been all right. Verse 16. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. In the last days, God says, and we're going to see this a couple of times in these scriptures, I will pour out my spirit upon some people, what's it say? Does that include us? I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now, I know this is predicated on the, on the idea if we're living in the last days. Do you think that we are living in the last days? Do you think that the things that go on around the world in this country say, and I know in Matthew 24 and Ezekiel and a couple other places, it talks about what it's going to be like in the last days. One of the things it talks about is wars and famines, pestilence. But one of the other things it talks about is immorality. Are we living in a place now? And I know I'm an old guy. 
But I see things now. I hear things now. I, I just, it, it breaks my heart. Did you know, and I grew up not too far from here, there are homeless people in El Dorado now? Did you know that? How did that happen? I see it on TV. I see it in San Francisco. And I see it in those big cities. And I think there's so much corruption. But why, with all the jobs, with all that's going on, why are there homeless people? Why are there so Maybe we shouldn't call them homeless. Maybe we should start to call them hopeless. Because isn't that what makes them homeless? Isn't that what has happened to so much of our country? Do you know last year we had the highest rate of teen suicide that we've ever recorded? I was a youth pastor for a long time. My wife and I, we've done a little bit of everything over the years. But for almost 15 years, we worked with the youth, loved them, got close to them. It breaks my heart, the message that they are hearing now from the TV, from the movies, sometimes from the schools. The message that God is not real. Can you imagine a way to make someone homeless faster than convincing them they came from a mud puddle? They evolved from a monkey. And the end, what you look forward to, what we should have hope for, the end is nothing. Darkness will just be gone. Praise God. If that was true, I'd give up right now, wouldn't you? They are searching... The people in this country, many, not just the homeless ones, are searching for truth. They're searching for something that is real, something that touches them inside. Do you know that every one of us have experienced a miracle in your life? You say, I haven't. Yes, you have. You're here. Do you know life is a miracle? Only miracle The man can't touch the miracle that God said to each one of you. I want you. And he gave you life. That is a miracle. We have to be able to, as a church, start to, and I believe this church is doing it or I wouldn't be here. I love the people of this church. I think God is going to do amazing things in this church. But we have to be able to, as a church, start to say to the people outside the church, there is something real. There is more to life than going to work every day. There is more to life than getting things and stuff. When God created you, when he gave you the gift of life, he also put a hole in there. He put a hole in your heart. And the only way it can be filled is by the power of God. The only way it can be filled is through Jesus. Your young men will see... Oh, wait a minute. I want to go back because I don't want to skip over anybody. I want you to notice as we go through this, you're going to be in there someplace. You can't say, well, he wasn't talking to me. Because yes, he was. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We'll get into prophesying in a minute. The girls and the boys will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So should I be seeing visions or dreaming dreams? Come on. I'll put them glasses back on. You mess with me. Okay, I should, be, I should be dreaming dreams, and I do, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some of that later on. Verse 18, in those days, here it is again for the second time, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I wrote this, the, the uh, definition of prophesy down for you up there. In Scripture, prophesy means to preach, to instruct in religious doctrine, to interpret or explain scripture or or religious subjects. And the last part, to exhort, to advise, to warn, to caution. The last part of it is to encourage. Jerry, I can't prophesy. Are you a Christian this morning? Okay, let me ask you this. 2019. How many of you prayed a prayer that God answered. How many of you have seen a healing? How many of you, at, at, no, put your hand down. You don't have to answer this. How many of you asked somebody at church? Don't answer that. How many of you sat down with your Bible and tried to show somebody how to be saved? I'm, I'm not picking on you, okay? Please don't get upset with me. 2020, a new vision, a new year, a new way of doing things. One of those things that happens to us, one of those things that grabs a hold of us and drags us into our own world is when we start worrying so much about what's going on with us that we have no vision for outside of us. And, and the sad part of it is, please hear this, my wife and I do a lot of counseling, and we have over the years, and as we work with people, as we see them start to change, it's because of Jesus. And all we do in our council, we don't have these magic words we say. All we do is go, let's find a way to pray. Let's find a way to ask God. Let's find a way to see if he will speak to you. And he always does. He always comes when we cry out for him. He will always hear our prayers. He will give us miracles. And we're going to see this in a minute. Uh, Verse 36. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Peter's starting to preach to them. And Peter was a little bit hard. And remember where Peter came from, please. He is going, when he got up in front of people, he is going and saying what God is giving him. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to other apostles, brothers, what should we do? There are people in your world, in your circle. I've always said there is nothing more powerful than a personal miracle. Listen to me. There are people you know. There are people close to you that are saying these very same words. What should I do to get out from this place I am in? What should I do? I feel hopeless. 
I feel alone. I feel lost. I have a hatred for myself. Say, well, they don't say that out loud. No, they don't say it out loud. One of the reasons that we, a few weeks ago, I was walking through the back of the church, and I was praying during, during our greeting times. I was praying, God, show me someone that I can pray with. I walked by this lady, and when she looked up at me, I could see tears start to come in her eyes. Can I pray with you? She grabbed me and started to cry. We prayed together. If we get our heads up from our stuff and start to look, they're everywhere. I started to tell you a while ago one of the things we do in counseling. When we, when we start to see people get to a place where their life is changing and they're starting to get on fire and you know Satan's going to hit them with everything he has, one of the things we do constantly is say to them, look for a ministry. Look for a place to go out and touch somebody else's life. That is one of the most amazing healing things you can get involved with. I'll give you an example. Last week we did Eric's birthday party. Those of you that were here, there was all kinds there was all kinds of work went into that. There was palm trees, there was stuff everywhere. There was hula girls. There were, <laughs> but we're all standing in here in the dark waiting on him. When, we came, when he came to that door out there, everybody goes, surprise. You remember what he did? He, <laughs> he was overwhelmed with love. See what this says? Imagine an unfailing love. That's not part of us. It's not a natural thing for us to do in our flesh. This unfailing love is Jesus. But it also says in Ephesians that we can become like a mirror. We can reflect who Jesus is and the people around us. If we start to raise our heads up and start to go, there is more to life than the things that I'm, start, I'm struggling with. I want to touch somebody else's life. If this church, and you'll see as we go through here, that's exactly what the church was. If this church becomes that even more, we've got some amazing young pastors. We have got to help them. We have got to love them. We have got to help take care of each other because they can't. I'll tell you that from experience. For years, we pastored. And there was times when The responsibility that I put on myself, and I did this, was so much that when somebody else would start to come to me with a complaint, when somebody else would, would be mad and arguing, when somebody else that we had poured our life into would get upset and leave the church pretty soon, I couldn't get up anymore. I, I forgot my back was hurting me this morning. <laughs> Thank you. 
You would have ruined my whole illustration if you hadn't got up to help me. I told my wife this morning, I said, if nobody comes up there, you come up here and help me. That's what we have got to become. That's the way we have got to see our pastors. That's the way we have got to see each other. And we have got to be looking for that. We have got to be willing to get up in front of everybody. Say, I don't care. I'm going to go help him. I'm going to help him up. Okay, let's go on. I'm getting behind already. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins. Turn to God. This is salvation. Ask God to forgive us. Turn to Jesus. Say, I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. The second part, and be baptized in the name of Jesus, because this shows that you receive forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Spirit is given to us on the day of our salvation. This promise is to you and to your children, and even the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This is... This is what I want for my children. This is what I want for my grandbabies. I want a church like this. I want a church full of people that love. I want a church full of people who care about the people outside of here. I want a church full of people that don't care if Big Bird comes in. I want a church that goes through pain, that goes through suffering together, that gets upset but knows how to make up. Matthew 28 says, if I have something inside of me that's bothering me about somebody else, it doesn't say go to my pastor and complain. You know what it says? Go to them. Go to them. And over the years, I have seen this work over and over and over again because most of the time, the thing that we think is offensive was not meant that way. Okay, we, I, I got to get on. Those who believed, Peter continued preaching for a long time, like me, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 got saved. Uh, one of the things I saw when I was studying this, that when the law was given to Moses, and we cannot live under the law, we could not live under the law, we could not keep the law, so God sent Jesus in the new covenant. When the law was given to Moses, and he came back down, and the Israelites were worshiping around the golden calf, remember? They were partying. God wanted to destroy them all. Moses said, please don't. But there were consequences do you remember how many died? 3,000. 1,200 years later, he gave us Jesus. He gave us the Spirit. How many were saved? 3,000. All the believers, okay, now we're going to get into the church part. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. 
I got these outlined after a while. We'll go through them. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I wonder what that was. Would you like to see signs and wonders? No? Yes? Those signs and wonders that he's talking about were the apostles praying for people and seeing healings. The signs and wonders that they were talking about also were people being saved. Is it a wonder when someone goes from a place of dark depression, overwhelming depression, a place where they don't think they can ever be free. Is it a wonder when you see the light of Jesus come into their eyes and you see them through the power of Jesus ask forgiveness for themselves and a lot of times for others. And in that process, their face starts to light up like the sun. Their smile is infectious. Is it a wonder when you see a family who is on their way to divorce, their kids being split apart? Is it a wonder when God puts that back together? Is it a wonder when God takes a sinner who was so angry no one could stand to be around him? And slowly changes him into someone who loves. Is that a wonder? Did you know that there's wonders going on right now in this church? There are people in this church right now that God is healing and changing. Do we want more signs and wonders? Do we want more of that as a church? And I'm asking you that because... It's not up to the pastors. It's up to us. If we do want it, then there's certain things we're going to have to do. Certain ways that we're going to have to act. If we want to see signs and wonders, if we want to see people healed, if we want to see lives changed, if we want to see someone who is on the brink of suicide, who has given up on life, and doesn't even believe there was a God, come back to life and give themselves to Jesus. If we want to see someone who is walking on the streets doing drugs, hating themselves and hating their life, singing worship, we have to be willing to say, I will do some of these things. Because this kind of body, this kind of family is infectious. It is drawing. It will pull people to Jesus. That's why Jesus did his miracles. That's why he's, we saw him do things that were miraculous. Because always at the end of it, it was about bringing them to Jesus. Let's go on. 
Verse 44, all the believers met together in one place and shared, okay, I know I'm going to step on toast a little bit, and shared everything they had. One of the things that we're wanting to do as a church in the next few months is to talk about being known. I have been with, and I know you have, I've been with people in church who have been in church for years and years and years, and they don't know anybody. Well, I know their name. You walk by them in the morning, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Do you really want to know how they are? Do you stop and look in their eyes and go, no. How are you really? What's going on in your heart? Are you okay? We pastored a church in Augusta for nine years, and some of the people that were there are here this morning. I thank you so much for being here. One of the things that we saw was a man who had sat in church his whole life, and he gave a testimony about being in church for 40 years. And then one day he got saved. He had shook hands, he had talked, he'd have been meetings, but he never really understood who Jesus was and gave his life to him. As we shake hands with each other, that is not enough according to this. And we'll go through this quickly. They worshiped together in the temple each day. Oh, 45. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Okay, now I know that's going a little bit far. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. There was a result to this. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were saved. There was a result of what was going on. And as I read this and as I think about teaching it, saying to people, sell all your property and give it to the church. Now, when John and Amber get back, please don't tell them I said that, okay? But why? When I read through it, I kept going, Why? Why were they willing to do that? What was going on? What was it that was so amazing in this group that they said, we're going to take care of every person in here? Do you know that they were living under Roman rule? They were not free. They were also hated by the Jewish hierarchy, the Pharisees. Sanhedrin courts, they were hated. They were looked at. They had just seen their leader crucified by these people. And yet, it says, great joy was in their lives. Now, this slide 14, I just put this up so we could quickly go over it. We're running out of time. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Fellowship, I put, this, I put down the definition for you. Fellowship is described in the Bible as coming together with other people. Good fellowship is when, as a result of that, there is an interchange of encouragement. They shared their meals together. They prayed together. Believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 
They worshiped together. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals. You don't, I don't want you to answer this out loud either. Did you have anybody over to your house last year to eat from church? Did you ask anybody to go out to eat with you after church? I know, and when I was talking to my wife about this, she says, the first thing that a lady thinks about is my house. It's a certain way. I see you smiling, Don. Fear. We don't have time to get into it very much this morning. That's what keeps us in ourselves. That's what keeps us thinking about the things that are going on in our life. Fear is the thing that keeps us from reaching out and giving to those who so desperately need Jesus around us. Fear is the thing that helps us from sharing our lives. I know that over the years, we have been hurt. You have been hurt. It's okay. That's why God gave us forgiveness. We cannot allow that to stop us and to put us into a place where we can't find what this church found. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope, Jesus, we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another, acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the days of his return is drawing near. I hope that you see that that's coming. I heard a guy say the other day that death is 100% guaranteed. We can't get out of it. We can't get around it. I'm going to skip on down to slide number 24. I read this book a long time ago. Don Piper wrote this 15 years ago. It's about when he was killed and a semi ran over his car. He was a pastor on the way to church. Tore off his left arm, tore off, tore off his left leg, part of the bone they never found again. Crushed his other leg. He was pronounced dead on the scene. Another pastor who was driving by felt God say to him, this is all documented. There's pictures of it if you go online and look it up. And this guy to this day is still preaching, which is another reason why I'm going, I believe this. And he says that that other pastor got out of his car and went down there and, and asked the paramedics, can I pray for this guy? And they said, no, he's dead. He's been dead a long time. Well, I just feel like God is saying to me, I need to go pray for him. They had taken a tarp and covered up his car and him because he was inside of it. They were waiting on the corner to get there. He was gone. This pastor said, please let me go pray for him. He went over, crawled underneath the tarp. I know, I heard this. I'm going, what? I hear it as a pastor. I'm saying, God, God has spoken to me a few times and said, will you go pray for somebody? And I might make it five, ten minutes. This guy crawled underneath the tarp with him, put his hand on his right shoulder, the only one that wasn't mangled, started to pray, and prayed for 90 minutes. He prayed for an hour and a half, 
of this man to be brought back to life. He prayed that he would not have any brain injuries and that he would not have any internal injuries. And after an hour and a half of praying, he started to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. And all of a sudden, he heard this man under the tarp singing with him. Said it didn't take him very long to get out from underneath that tarp. He went over and he told the paramedics, he's alive. He was jumping up and down. They said, no, he's not. We're not going over there. He said, if you don't go over there, I'm going to lay down in front of this ambulance and I'm not moving. They, they showed the paramedics. They showed the people that he was talking to. They went over and checked his pulse. He was alive. They got the gels of life. They got him up. He was in the hospital for 14 months afterwards, had one of those things on his legs to extend it. Halo? Why would you call that a halo? Anyway, he wrote a book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, and he talks about being there. He talks about the sounds, the sights. He even talks about the smells. He talks about how amazing it was to be there. And for someone who loves to hear about heaven, there's all kinds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about it. And I've used it in funerals over the years. A place with no more tears, with no sorrow, with no pain. That's enough for me. I'm ready to go. But all these other things he talks about in his book, I hope, I hope you get a chance to read it. But he wrote a new one. I just got done reading. And it says, people I met at the gates of heaven. And do you know what he says those people were, who they were? They were people who were part of his salvation. They were people who had taken him to church. They were people who had given him a Bible. They were pe- he talked about the teenagers that came to his house and invited him to come to youth group. He t- Some of them had passed. They were there at the gate waiting. We need to get a hold of the of this truth for us to be able to build these kind of churches and be able to have the courage to step out and talk to people around us. This is truth. Heaven is real. And sadly, hell is too. Now, I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to try. And I'm going to let you go. While I was pastoring in Augusta, I started having acid reflux. Anybody ever have that stuff? Yeah. Uh, one of the things I did as the oldest, I took everything on myself. Everything was my responsibility. I was, I was blamed for if somebody... Anyway, I told you that before, but over the years, it started to come up in my stomach. And I got to where I'd be laying there at night and I'd be dreaming and I was drowning and I would wake up coughing and choking and I couldn't get my breath. That's awful. <laughs> I hated that. Went to the doctor. Finally, two or three months later, like it, it takes, I went to another specialist. He took an x-ray of my esophagus, and he goes, look here, right before your esophagus goes into your stomach, there was a balloon like that. That opening had almost shut down, and the food get trapped in there. I spent six months sitting in a 
recliner to sleep at night. So I went in for surgery. St. Francis, I think. They took me in and they said, we have to cut those muscles loose so the esophagus will go back like it's supposed to. And now we're going to flip your stomach over. Okay. <laughs> I, I would do about anything at that point. So the next thing I know, I wake up and it's dark. I have this tube down my throat. I'm panicking. The doctors came in and they kept checking on me and checking on me. We messed up. We cut too deep. Went through the esophagus. And they were scared. So that night I remember having such a hard time sleeping. And finally when I went to sleep, I don't talk about this very much. Now, you take this for what it's worth, okay? I was in this place that now I believe was heaven that I saw in front of me millions of people who were worshiping. I was leading them. They didn't need leading. But what I remember the most was the music, the colors, the emotions were all intertwined. They were all going from one to the other. And I could see all the way across, and I could see one person's face. And when I saw their face, I could feel their emotion. I could feel their love. I could feel their worship. I was intertwined in a way that I can't, I, I've used words for most of my life, and I cannot explain what that was like, what that felt like, what it sounded like. There was a spirit of peace that was consuming, that was so real. When I woke up, a few days later, I was talking to my wife about it, trying to explain it. And she goes, that explains why you were laying there in bed doing this. Heaven is real. Heaven is someplace that this Don Piper tells people all the time, when you lose somebody, it's just a temporary separation. It hurts, but it won't last. There is more out there for us. Let's bow our heads this morning. As our singers come, I want them to sing through their first song this morning. If God has touched you with the church, with your life, with the new 2020, or if you're here this morning and you're going, I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven or not, please come up and allow us to pray with you this morning. If you're okay, if you're in a good place, pray for those who are not. Pray for the courage this morning to come forward and to accept Jesus.